This morning, as we go before God's throne of understanding, let's first begin by going before his throne of grace. Gracious Father, loving Lord, it is futile to think that our understanding and our knowledge is all that is needed to transform human hearts. And so, Lord, because words are not the source of transformation, but in fact, your Holy Spirit, I pray right now, Lord, that you'll send your Holy Spirit into this place, into the hearts and minds of those who are watching, into the hearts and minds of those who are gathered here. We pray that we will hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And in these fragile times, we would be careful to turn our eyes upon you. So speak to us now, Lord, in the preparation of the battle of the ages. And may the end result be someone is saved in your kingdom. And someone else is ready for your soon return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Revelation's picture is a reliable picture. Daniel's picture is a reliable picture. Throughout the course of human history, not just the last four years or not just uh, what happened this week, but I have been careful and intentional. Whenever I've seen anything happening in the world, I've been careful and intentional to go back to God's word and find out what God's word says. Like the little boy, and you've heard the story before, but maybe you didn't. A little boy that was supposed to be in his bed sleeping and his father heard him in his room saying, if you only knew what I knew. And knowing that his son should have been sleeping by then, he knocked on the door and he said, son, it's long past your bedtime. Why are you saying, who are you talking to? If you only knew what I knew. And he said, Dad, I was reading this book, and he showed the father the book as he was reading it under his cover with his flashlight. I know what that's like. I did that when I was a little boy. <laughs> you should be in bed, but you have your little flashlight reading under the blanket. And he said, well, tell me the story. And he said, Dad, there was this horrible, horrible criminal going from town to town, pillaging and, and robbing and breaking into banks and beating up the sheriffs of the town. Dad, I got so discouraged, I just decided I'm going to go to the back of the book. And I went to the back of the book, and I saw that there was a sheriff that earlier this very same outlaw had beat up and put in jail, but he got out, and he got ready. And this time, he beat up the bad guy and put him in jail. And he says, well, what about that? If you own, who are you talking to? He said, Dad, I went to that bad guy, and I said to him, if you only knew what I knew, if you only knew what I knew, brethren, when we think that the world in all of its might is able to undo the prophetic accuracy of God's word, it is time to say to the devil, if you only knew what I knew. So while I may be frazzled, I am by no means losing heart. While I may be upset by what is transpiring around our world, politically, religiously, economically, socially, and every other way, I am by no means deterred because I know that God's word can be trusted. Amen. 
God's word is true. I will do all of my pleasure. He declared the end from the beginning. And what God's word says, when you see the news and you think that, wow, this is it, go back to God's word. When some political leader, whether one side or the other, says that he has the answer for the future, go back to God's word. I said to somebody this week, there have been 45 presidents. There's an indication we're going to have a number 46. I've not seen any one of them guarantee that they can take away my sin and restore my faith. Not a single politician has been able to say, I will supply all of your need according to my riches and glory. We know that as citizens, we all have the right to participate in the political process. But when politics supersedes our commitment to the proclamation of the three angels' messages, we are in trouble. And God warned his people all throughout the Old Testament. You find Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and I'm going to include some of them in the sermon today, when Jeroboam uh, created an alliance with a nation that did not know God, when Rehoboam did the same thing. And you find Solomon and David all through the Old Testament, there were indicators of how dangerous it is for God's people to create alliances with political fractions. And whenever they did, God withdrew his blessings and they were always defeated in battle. Today, the safest thing that we can do is create an indelible, unbreakable alliance with the powers of heaven. What do you say? And we know that we'll never come to a battle and ever be defeated. But we are living in a time of fragile security. Why do I say fragile? Because God's word has told us what is to come. And we are seeing things happening in America. Ever since the 2011, ever since 2001, September 11th, 2001, we learned then that our nation is a fragile nation. You know, we're used to watching wars happen overseas in the Middle East, uh, many years ago in Vietnam and parts of Europe and in, the, in different places around the world. We often see wars happening on, on television. We see embassies being invaded like in Iran. We see overseas leaders being overthrown with an attempted coup within their countries. But my brethren, what we saw a couple of days ago tells us that when we think that we are impregnable, only the kingdom of God is impregnable. It's amazing the spirit of war that is stirring the hearts of men in America. Over what? Over one individual? Christians, what, what troubled me more than anything else is I saw in that mob, and I'm not asking about political persuasion. This is not the point of this, this, this statement I'm making. I saw so many flags with the name Jesus on it. And I said to myself, Jesus has no part in what is happening here today. And all through the year, we've been seeing one protest after the other. We've seen looting and we've seen pillaging and we've seen such behavior. But it's very sad when Jesus is being aligned and somehow we think that it's okay because Jesus is on our tags or Jesus is on our poster or Jesus is on our flags. No, no, no. Jesus is not the author of confusion, but of peace. But we are living in a time of fragile security, very fragile security. I'm going to begin with a question, and then I'm going to unwrap today a picture that I'm, I'm sure many of you have not yet seen.
Does February 5, 2021 mean anything to you? And I know the answer is no. But listen to me today. The message, don't forget, is entitled The Cold War. Following World War II, a Cold War began. World War I and World War II were two of the bloodiest conflicts that the United States of America was involved in. Millions and millions and millions of people. You remember the, the Auschwitz and, and the, the senseless taking of Jewish lives and Polish individuals. Not only did that happen in the portions of the world that we now look at as dark stains on our world's history. But to secure the fact and to try to prevent such mayhem from occurring again, between 1947 and 1991, a Cold War environment existed between the Soviet Union and the United States. And although there was no exchange of fire between the two superpowers, there were many occasions when the Soviet Union and the United States were on the brink of another world war. Some commentators suggested that an all-out military engagement between the USSR and the United States could be the beginning of World War III. And the phrase, limited nuclear exchange, is the most ridiculous phrase I've ever heard. Amen. We'll just shoot 15 nuclear weapons at you, and you can shoot five at us. When any nuclear weapon that we possess today is thousands of times more powerful than that which was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It was known as the Cold War because each of these superpowers had allies. Under the Soviet Union was the Eastern Bloc known as the Communist Bloc, the Socialist Bloc, and the Soviet Bloc. The Soviet Bloc was a group of communist states from Central and Eastern Europe, East Asia, and Southeast Asia. That's why when the Vietnam War ensued, once again it was fighting against a communist power. The United States had allies in the Western Bloc of Nations. That was the purpose of NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It was made up of more than 30 European countries and a host of other North American allies. So you had the Eastern Bloc and you had the Western Bloc. They comprised the coalition that in the event that a war broke out, I'm going to be on this side and we're going to be on that side. Russia had its nations lined up in the event that America incited war, and America had its nations lined up in the event that the Soviet Union incited war. It was a cold war, but at any moment, an all-out nuclear exchange and a possible annihilation of humanity could have occurred. You may remember, if you're old enough, Bob, the Cuban Missile Crisis. It was a missile scare that lasted one month and four days from October 16 to November 20th, 1962. 
It was a confrontation between the United States and the Soviet Union. And the issue was, it happened during the time of former President John Fitzgerald Kennedy. It was the most fragile time in recent memories. It was a very scary time because if the wrong thing was done, with Cuba only being 90 miles away having nuclear weapons, America could have become a casualty of unimaginable proportions. But to minimize the possibility of these superpowers annihilating each other, a proposal called the SALT Treaty was drafted. You may remember the strategic arms limitation talks, the SALT Treaty. Its purpose was to reduce the number of nuclear weapons between the United States and the USSR, also known at that time as the Soviet Union. When you follow the pages of history, you may remember Jimmy Carter, the peanut president, a Christian man, still alive today, a gentle giant he is. When President Jimmy Carter and Leonid Brezhnev signed the SALT Treaty, June 1979. But then, when they discovered that there was unaccounted for nuclear weapons hiding in Cuba, the Senate and the Congress chose not to ratify that treaty, and it was withdrawn in 1980. But the Cold War continued. The Cold War continued with a fragile nature still existing between the Soviet Union and the United States, President Reagan and Pope John Paul II got together in an environment called the Millennial Endgame. Follow me carefully. This is powerful. A competition started in 1976 called the Millennial Endgame between three superpowers, two political and one religio-political. Ronald Reagan got together with Pope John Paul II after both of them went through a near-death experience. Both of them were shot, and they both survived. They forged an alliance. And under the guise of political expediency and disruption of the Soviet Union, these two leaders got together and brought down the walls of Eastern Europe. The commentator said the foreign policies of Ronald Reagan's administration was the foreign policies of the United States from 1981 to 1989. And the main goal was winning the Cold War and the rollback of communism. So when the walls of Eastern Europe came down, the walls there that split East Germany from West Germany, when he, when he says, Mr. Gorbachev, what? Tear down those walls. We all applauded because no one wanted to see communism continue to be proliferated. We did not want to see communism continue on. So we all applauded. But what we did not know is that was a testing of the powers, getting the stage ready for the end time scenario of Revelation chapter 13. Well, right now, you see the competition was between three powers and two of those powers coalesce together to get rid of one of those powers. Today, the Soviet Union no longer exists, but Russia still does. And so now the question is, if this competition was to determine who was going to be the number one world leader by the new millennium, one of us has to get rid of the other. 
The United States either has to get rid of the Vatican or the Vatican has to get rid of the capitalist West, including the head of those capitalists, the United States. How do we do it? So there was an attempt to strengthen our economy, thus the Gulf War, to try to take over the oil fields in the Middle East, to strengthen our economic base because we are economists, we are capitalists. And that failed under Father Bush. And then when September 11th, 2001 happened, another attempt was made to once again take over the oil fields of the Middle East, and that failed under Sun Bush. But the purpose of it was to strengthen our resources as the capitalist West. And behind the other curtain was Pope John Paul II pulling all the cords he can to strengthen his agenda. He believed that he was a part of something he called the grand design. He said he believes that his birth was instituted by God and that God was giving him the authority and the push and the and the agenda, for lack of a better word, God was setting him up, he believed, to be the voice of the world religiously and politically. And when he told those who gathered in New York City in 1979 there in Yankee Stadium that the competition for the control of everyone on the planet had begun, commentators in Life magazine said very few understand what he really meant. But the Cold War continued. And under Ronald Reagan, the Cold War in the revolution of 1989, it was called, in Eastern Europe, between 1989 and 1991, the dissolution of the Soviet Union occurred. But here's the problem. What do you do with the nuclear weapons? With the concern of too many nuclear weapons still existing in Russia, in November 2009, I want you to follow carefully, former President Barack Obama and former President of Russia Dmitry Medved drafted what's called the SORT Treaty, Strategic Offensive Reduction Treaty. It was drafted in April 2010. It went into effect February 5, 2011. And I ask you the question, does February 5, 2021 mean anything to you? I'm going to answer the question now. Why should it mean something to you? Why should that date even mean anything at all to the world? Because under the prior administration, the outgoing administration and the incoming administration, the outgoing administration was assigned the responsibility to strengthen NATO, to strengthen the United Nations, to strengthen the possibility of preventing any kind of future nuclear exchange, but it failed to do so. Pulling out of the United Nations, pulling out of the NATO treaty, and leaving America wide open for the proliferation of nuclear exchange. Why is February 5, 2021 significant? Because on February 5, 2021, the treaty that limits nuclear weapons for any country expires. And if America does not, with world leaders, re-establish a treaty that says to all these superpowers, China, North Korea, Russia, the United States, some of the Arab nations, if there is no establishment of a treaty to limit the buildup 
and the, and the stocking of nuclear weapons, one commentator said, the world at this present hour is more fragile than it has ever been in the 20th or 21st century. So right now as I sit here, we've got just a few days or a few weeks before February 5, 2021 comes when the Strategic Offenses, Offensive Reduction Treaty expires. And looming in the minds of world superpowers right now is the question, how will the Cold War end? Now, the only thing that gives me courage is I know that the Lord is not going to end humanity by nuclear exchange. Well, we got some crazy folk in the world. Vis-a-vis a couple of days ago. We got some insane folk in the world. I don't care what position they occupy. If their minds are not, if their minds are misguided, we can see what can happen. So you may understand this quotation and how forward-looking the servant of the Lord is. Ellen White. I praise God. Folk may say, well, she's out of date. Let me tell you something. I praise God for the insights that he gave to his servant. That humble servant, not exalting herself above the word of God by any means. But God, like the prophets of old, has given her insights into the things that if we pay attention to them, we will understand where this world is headed. Thus, with that in mind, the fragile security under which we exist, this quotation looms large. In the book, Education, page 179 in paragraph 5, listen carefully. She says, the present, the what? Present. The present is a time of overwhelming interest to all living. Rulers and statesmen, a forward-looking statement, rulers and statesmen, men who occupy positions of trust and authority, thinking men and women of all classes, watch this, have their attention fixed upon the events taking place about us. They are watching the strained, restless relations that exist among the nations. How is the Cold War going to end? They are watching, they observe the intensity that is taking possession of every earthly element. And they recognize that something great and decisive is about to take place. That the world is on the verge of a stupendous crisis. We are living in a time of fragile security. The only thing that is sure is God's word. What do you say, Ryan? The only thing that we can count on is the word of God. The only thing that when I wake up tomorrow morning and I'm looking at this fragile planet, this unstable society, a world that is going to be dumbed down by the, by the legalization of marijuana, dumbing down the minds of American citizens. Homosexuality has already become a legal practice in America. Pornography, Lord have mercy. Let's not go there. Talking about moral, moral majority, why don't you do something to get rid of that? <laughs> Let me not get started on that one. So this world, as much as entertainment likes, likes to inoculate us and pad us and make us think that as long as you can go to the internet and find your drug, that everything is just fine. Brothers and sisters, we live in a time of fragile security. That's why today we're going to walk through what should the people of God be doing in a time of fragile security? 
What should the people of God be doing between the war that broke out in heaven and the battle of Armageddon? Between the war that broke out in heaven and the battle of Armageddon, we have been living in the Cold War. That war that began is going to be superseded by a war of greater proportions. That war between light and darkness, truth and error in the kingdom of God that Satan did not win. Praise the Lord. I love it. I was backstage when Elder Bradley, Jason said, but they did not prevail. And I raised my hand by myself. Praise God. The devil did not prevail. And he's not going to prevail in the end. So we are living between the war that began in heaven and the war that is going to happen sooner or later, and all the forces of darkness that are standing against the government of God are putting their weapons together, social weapons, economic weapons, spiritual weapons, financial weapons. The kings of the earth and the whole world are being seduced by these unclean spirits that Satan is sending out to the entire world, getting them ready for the battle of Armageddon. And the question is, what should the people of God be doing in the Cold War? Excuse me if I sound like I'm excited. What should the people of God be doing? Young folk, what should you be doing? Leaders, what should you be doing? Husbands and wives, what should you be doing in the time of the Cold War? Because we ain't seen nothing yet. I appeal to you to go with me to Second Chronicles. And we are going to look at the unfolding to answer the question, what should the people of God be doing between the battle that's coming and the battle that passed? The Cold War. I'll let the political leaders answer the question about the nuclear proliferation but I need to answer the question because my concern is not the next nuclear war. My concern is where am I going to stand when Jesus comes? Will I be able to stand in the day of wrath or will I be running to the rocks and the mountains? Let me tell you something. I'm going to be able to stand by God's grace. What do you say? Amen. I cannot be preaching this message and believing this message and teaching this message and end up on the wrong side of the camp. Oh, no. You better pray for me because I tell you, the Bible knows the Lord said it. If the, if the devil can strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. We ought to pray for our ministers and our world leaders. Pray for people in positions of authority because the devil, he knows if he can strike the shepherd, the sheep are going to scatter. Lord, keep us humble and keep us safe and keep us clear thinking. We find in the book of 1 Chronicles and First and Second Kings, I want to tell you, if you want to, yeah, if you want to, Read about war. You don't need to play Call of Duty. <laughs> you just need to read the Bible. Right, Dakota? You want Call of Duty? Read the Bible. First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, you will see the outlying display of God in the battle. God on the front lines, God in the hearts of his leaders, and God pulling back from those leaders who decided that God will not be in their hearts. And we read 2 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 18. And by the way, this passage follows the defeat of 500,000 choice fighting men of Israel. They were led to apostatize under a wicked leader by the name of Jeroboam. 
Jeroboam fought against Rehoboam. And Rehoboam would have experienced success if he allowed his heart to be right before God. But he also, stumbling over his frail humanity, did not accomplish what God intended. So Rehoboam died. And his son Abijah took his place. And Abijah did what God had called him to do. And Abijah fought. And Abijah valiantly, under God's leadership, led Israel to de- led uh, Judah to defeat the 500,000 men of Israel that had been in apostasy. And we read the words in Second Chronicles chapter 13 and beginning with verse 18. The Bible says, Thus the children of Israel were subdued at that time. And the children of Judah, what's the next word? prevailed. Why? Because they relied on the Lord God of their fathers. Can I say something today? When you rely on the Lord God, you will be victorious in every battle. When God is the source of your strength and the source of your spiritual arsenal, there is no power that will successfully stand against you. God is our ever-present help in time of need. And I'm going to tell you something else. God's army only needs one more person. That's you. You don't need a multitude. Me plus God equals the majority. Come on, say amen. So you don't have to worry about surrounding yourself with all these men. You'll see that some of the greatest battles won in the Bible were when God weeded down great armies such as Gideon. Get rid of those 32,000 shady Adventists. Give me 300. (laughs) Come on, somebody. Give me 300 that really like to study their Bible. Give me 300 that really want to come to prayer meeting. Come on, listen to me today. Give me 300 that take advantage of spiritual moments of opportunity. I don't need 32,000 Adventists. I need just 300 that really want to be an Adventist who knows the time calls for urgency. God knows how to win battles. He can win them by himself. Don't even need our help. But God is looking, as the Bible said, under the reign of a former king. The Bible says, the Lord... His eyes are going to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. And I'm going to begin by saying, you want victory? Make sure that your heart is loyal to God. What do you say? Because it ain't about what's happening in politics. And I'm not even worried about the new world order. I'm not worried about what the Pope does. My eyes are on the Lord. And Jeremiah said, I am the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Amen. God said, what? Hard for God? He he said, you need help? I'll send one angel. How many people you need me to get rid of? I'll begin with 185,000. God, that's God's army. God's army. He sends one angel and 185,000 men meet their final breath. That's the God on whose side I want to stand. What about you? After Abijah led Judah to victory, he made a mistake and lavished himself in a life of excess. Look at verse 21. What did he do? What did he do? The Bible says, but Abijah grew mighty, married 14 wives. Bob prayed and begot 22 sons. And 16 daughters have mercy, Ron. He said, things are going so well, I need to get me another wife. And 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 another wife. wife. 14 women. I would sure love to see 
his night out dinner bill. Where do you want to go, honey? Oh, I'm, 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 I meant you. Where do you want to go, honey? But the very next verse, that's right. No man can serve two masters. Try serving 14. <laughs> Ricky, <laughs> come on to Jasmine and say, honey, I just got four more wives. Do we have none? Now, you ain't coming in that house. I know that's right. Amen, Jasmine. Not in that house. Not to a Jamaican woman. Oh, no. Not on this earth. But the very next verse. <laughs> Pray for me today. The very next verse. The very next verse is a caution to those that try to live their lives without restraint. Look at verse 22. I had to smile when I read this. Now the rest of the acts of Abijah, his ways and his sayings are written in the annals of the prophet's idiom. With 14 wives, how else do you expect your story to end? <laughs> now the rest of the acts, the brother died. <laughs> That's what it's saying. He died. How else do you expect your life to end? With 14 wives, how many sons? 22 sons and 16 daughters. Brethren, a life of excess is the first step in self-destruction. Abijah was laid to rest, but God was not done with Judah yet. Why was Judah so significant? Let me give you a picture as to why. You might say, what does Judah have to do with anything? Let me tell you why Judah was significant. Because Judah was the tribe through which Jesus would come. Satan sought to pollute all of Israel, but God pulled Benjamin and Judah out. God ripped 10 kingdoms out because of their apostasy and rebellion. But the plan of heaven would not be thwarted. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the offspring of David. Amen. So Judah had to be, Judah had to be preserved. Because if Satan could wipe out Judah, Jesus would not come. You see, this Cold War is an opportunity for that fallen angel to work behind the scenes to try to prevent and delay and cancel the plans of heaven. But heaven's plans will not be canceled and God's purpose will not be denied. So we look back on what God knew and what Asa did. The reason I said that Judah existed under fragile security is only God knew how long their peace will last. Can I say something? We are seeing displays of what could happen. But only God knows how long this country, America, can hold back the reign before anarchy ensues on a grand, uncontrollable scale. Only God knows when the angels are going to let the winds loose. Only God knows when it's going to be havoc. And if we didn't see anything happening under COVID-19, the closing of movie theaters and schools and stadiums that are empty and, and people can't do this and can't do that, those are just indicators of how quickly, how quickly, how rapidly the world can fall into a tremendous, uncontrollable spiral. But we look back on what God knew and what Asa did. And so I'm going to answer the question, what happened? Let's look at Second Chronicles 14, verse 1. And the Bible says, so Abijah rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In his days, the land was quiet for how long? Ten years. 
Only God knew. God never sent Asa an email saying, you'll have peace for 10 years. Only God knew how long that peace would last. Asa did not know. But while Judah was in a cold war, the existence of peace was borrowed. And it was going to be soon revoked because God knew that while Judah was enjoying the peace of their past victories, he knew that just on the horizon were other earthly powers that were getting their forces ready to attack the kingdom of Judah. When one battle ended, another one was in the making. Judah defeated Israel, but a vicious army of one million soldiers how many did I say? One million soldiers were preparing to go against the kingdom of Judah. But they didn't know it. They had no idea when that battle was going to ensue. But here's the point I want to make. We don't need to know when the world's going to fall apart. We don't need to know when all the things that we trust in are going to be taken away from us, all we need to know is what we need to do to get ready for those times. Amen. We don't need to know. There's some people that said, I got to get a garden. Let me tell you something. When the world falls apart, you ain't going to be in your garden picking vegetarian fruits. Amen. If there's any other kind, I don't know. Nobody's going to be going in their cabinet pulling out preserves. You're going to be running to the rocks and the mountains. Some people think, well, you know, I'm going to get me a big garden. Well, that'll only exist as long as there's peace. But when the world falls apart, you're not going to be saying to the people in your community, come and have vegetables in my garden. No. Look at what happened in the days of Israel. That's the reason why Gideon was hiding, because the Midianites would come and take away everything that they planted. Learn from the past. Elijah was sustained by a raven. God sent a raven, a federal express bird from heaven to feed Elisha. And God has said to us, when the world falls apart and you can't find water and toilet paper and necessities in the store, he said, your bread and your water shall be sure. Not your hostess Twinkies, not your donuts, but your bread and water shall be sure. The record of Judah's time of peace serves as a blueprint for the church of the last days. And when we go through the story, I must say this, ministers ought to take a page out of Asa's book. And begin to get the people of God ready for what's on the horizon. Asa not only enjoyed the peace of victory, but he took the time of peace to prepare Judah for when the next battle would arise. He knew that complacency in a time of peace is a formula for certain defeat. Let me say that again. Complacency in a time of peace is the formula for defeat. Meaning, you can sit around and say, well, you know, everything is fine. Still have internet. Still have cable. I can still go to Walmart. I can still go to Macy's. I'm all right. I have a lot of food in the cabinet. I'm just fine. I don't care about what's happening in politics. Brethren, that's not the point. These times of peace, relative peace, should not be a time of complacency in our spiritual lives. And I'm as your pastor, I'm just, I'm up here. If I had a sledgehammer, I'd like to bang it on the floor. Or if I had a horn or, or a trumpet or some of those ear horns, I'd like to just pr 
impress him because I don't know what else to say to get our people urgent. Don't know, I know we can't come to church as we'd like to, but when spiritual opportunities are granted and we can't find time for those things, I'm wondering, are they so steeped in Bible study that their homes are lit up with the presence of God? Or is the world lulling, lulling our members into a deeper sense of complacency and spiritual stagnation? During Judah's Cold War, Asa called Judah to a time of sweeping spiritual revival and reformation. He not only did what pleased God, but he led Judah to do the same. Judah's dedication became the reason for their survival when the battle came. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 2 to 5. The blueprint, the blueprint that every one of us ought to follow if we think that we're going to have success when the battle comes. Because I tell you, it's coming. The Bible says in verse 2 of 2 Chronicles 14, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord, his God. Are you doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord, your God? <laughs> Are you doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord? Not in the eyes of the church, but the eyes of the Lord. What did he do? He removed the altars and the foreign gods and the high places. These are the things that Jeroboam established. These are, the these are the symbols of the alliance with false gods that Jeroboam had displayed all over Israel. And Judah were affected by them. Rehoboam did not completely remove them. Rehoboam did not go get to the standard that God intended. But Abijah, his son, defeated Israel. And Asa, Abijah's son, said, Daddy, what you didn't complete, by God's grace, I will. The Bible says he broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. In the days of Jeroboam, servant of the Lord says, you can walk through the camp of Israel and smell the flesh of animals being burned to false gods. You can see the temples that were being prostituted by false priests and priests that worship gods of stone and wood and, and, and that worship the sun, the moon, and the stars. You can see children being sacrificed on altars to false gods. Israel had sunk so low that God ripped away 10 of their kingdoms. I can't even use them anymore. And he preserved Judah. He preserved Judah. So when Jesus came in the time of the New Testament, the, the Pharisees and scribes that you saw were of the lineage of Judah. They should have been faithful. But what happened? The devil was successful even getting them to betray the very Christ that preserved them for that time. So that's why I'm saying let's not take religion for granted. If your religion doesn't become Christianity, it's dangerous. Because they were very religious, but they lost their connection with God. It goes on to say in verse 4 what else he did. Not only did he remove the pillars and the foreign gods and break down the sacred altars and cut down the wooden images, the Bible says in verse 4, he commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers. And to observe the law of the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from how many of the cities? All the cities of Judah. And when he did that, the Bible says, and the kingdom was what? Quiet. The kingdom was quiet unto Asa. The wise man Solomon says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies 
to be at peace with him. You want peace? Let your ways please God. You always say, they don't ever talk to me, but they're talking to me now. They were real nice to me. I wonder why. When your ways please the Lord, God will make your enemies at peace with you. God will make people that don't like you, like you. God will make people that wish you the worst to do you the best. When your ways please the Lord, even your enemies will be at peace with you. So Asa used the time of peace to establish a defense. And all these reforms were to slowly but surely affect a change. You got to keep in mind for decades, for decades, all that they were accustomed to was a false image there, a false image there, false images there, polluted priests that did not honor God there, all these false sacrifices. So Asa comes and tears down everything that could possibly represent what they used to be. And he says, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do from now on. And it took some time. It took some time. But praise God, he led them in spiritual reform. And the Bible says in verse 6, Asa also of 2 Chronicles 14, and he built fortified cities in Judah. For the land had rest. He had no war in those, day, those years. Why? Because the Lord had given him rest. You want rest? God will give you rest. That's why it's useless to try to find rest in a distracted and pleasure-consumed world. It's useless to find, try to find rest being distracted being consumed by the pleasures of the world, you will not find rest. I read an article about in Japan, they had these video arcades. And with the speeding internet that we have nowadays, there were some arcades that were set up throughout. You know, they have online gaming. People from America will be warring against people from the United States. You know, online battles and online car racing and all this type of thing. And they connect all over the globe the addiction became so great that they said in this particular uh, arcade that stayed open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the, China, the Japanese young men, these are, these are young men, they would wear diapers so they don't have to leave their station in the midst of a battle because they're on the team of somebody in St. Louis or somebody in the Caribbean. They're all a part of the same battle team. So they're all together in internet gaming and they said, they would sit there and defecate in their, un, in, their, in their diapers. Young men. Teenagers and young men in their 20s. Just so they don't have to get up from that video game. But that's not even the worst. I read the article was online. I was talking about the addiction of internet. They found a young man who had been dead for 17 hours. He died at the station where he was playing his video games. Huge. You know what they said he died of? They said he died, that his prognosis was he died of over, he was too mentally stimulated and his brain couldn't handle it and it gave out. Distracted and consumed by a pleasure-loving world. That's why it's futile to find peace when we are involved in things that distract us and the sad reality is sometimes the world gets in so deep and so ingrained in our, in our psyche and in our veins and in our behavior that we cannot of ourselves even rescue ourselves. It's futile to also, also try to find rest 
on the promises of political leaders. And that's all I'm going to say on that note. Doesn't make sense. It is also foolish to base our rest on the experience of anyone else. I found that people that are home now, people that can't go to church. I've been watching in many places in different parts of the nation as we visit. We see this complacent spirit taking hold of, of people that don't go to church. And when the Sabbath comes, it's just another day. The devil's saying, <laughs> it's working. It's working. And I listened to uh, somebody called me from uh, Southern Adventist University on the staff there. They said, the greatest fear that the pastors have right now is that when COVID finally passes over, the majority of the congregation will not return. That's down in Tennessee. <laughs> the shaking is going on. The sifting is taking place. And God's people ought to be so fortified that it ain't about COVID. It's not about politics. It's not about finance. It's not about what's happening in the White House or in any other countries around the world. It's not about what's taking place on the news and in media and in entertainment. It is about what's taking place between you and Jesus. Amen. That's why the Lord says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Somebody once said that the activities in the Adventist church can continue if we kept the door shut and never invited Jesus back in. But the message of Laodicea is Jesus saying to his last day church, you've got a whole lot of stuff going on, but I wish you would let me in. And even activity in and of itself. We have to be careful because we have more activity down here in southern Illinois than most other places. We are busy 24 hours a day, sometimes producing programming, doing graphics and digital, getting things edited and getting things ready for radio and television. All that is our job, but that cannot be substituted for a one-to-one -one relationship with Christ. Amen. That will never suffice. You can't say I edited 500 programs or I designed 1,500 sets or I was the one that fixed the graphics or I did this beautiful open. Lord, should you let me in? He'll say many, you have done many wonderful works in my name, but I don't know you. And what I've seen happening down here in this place where people can come to church, if you can make it to work every day, by God's grace, take some time to do something that you don't have to do. You don't have to come to church to produce graphics. Just sit down and let the Lord speak to you. Get together and study the Sabbath school lesson together. Get into a fellowship group together. Find something that is outside of your job description and just enjoy being in one accord in one place on the Sabbath day. As we go to verse 7, we find that Asa used Judah's time of peace to prepare for Judah's time of war. The blueprint continues. Therefore, he said to Judah, this is Asa, let us build these cities and make walls around them and tower gates and bars these are symbols of an impregnable city. We don't know what's coming, but we're going to get ready for it. While the land is yet before us, while we have time, in other words, because we have sought the Lord our God, and we have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. And while they're resting in the middle of war, the Bible says, so they built and prospered. 
Brethren, these are the days we have to build walls around our family to keep the world out. We got to build walls around our devotional and prayer life to keep the media out. We got to build walls around our marriages to keep others out. We have to build walls around our walk with Jesus so that our feet won't be turned out of the way. The writer of Hebrews says, make straight paths for your feet so that the lame will not be turned out of the way. We were talking about the influence of one individual. One person could cause thousands to be lost. In the book of, in the book of Ecclesiastes, go there with me very quick. It's not a part of, the, it's not a part of my sermon out, no, outline, but this fits right here. Let's go to the book of Ecclesiastes very quickly. Okay? Ecclesi Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Right after Proverbs. Listen to this. When you live a life that is not in harmony with God's will, you can cause so many to lose their way. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 1, it says, dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and causes it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. You know what that's saying? When you are called to be a spiritual individual, don't turn yourself into a fool. Because you will injure those who are following your example. When you allow the world to come in and you are a person that should be known for honor and integrity, don't allow the devil to cause you to create an experience and an example that will make others stumble as they look at your life. Somebody bought you perfume, Ramona, and there was a dead fly in it. What would you say? <laughs> Where'd you get that from? There's a dead fly in this. I'm not putting this on. In the same way, when a person who should be known for integrity and honor and wisdom becomes a person of folly and foolishness. It's like giving somebody a bottle of perfume with a dead fly in it of no value whatsoever. You see, as we build the walls around our lives and our marriages and our devotional and prayer life and our family, we are doing what the Apostle Peter said, be sober, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober. What else? Be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. What is he doing? Seeking whom he may devour. He's serious. You think he's serious? I'm seeing things happening in America that I thought would never happen. And I'm getting to the point where I'm saying I'm not shocked anymore. We've been so desensitized by media and movies. And every movie becomes more more drama filled and, 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 and more hyped than the last one. But then all of a sudden it starts playing itself out in our society and it's no longer just another DVD. But Asa not only affected spiritual reforms, I love this part in verse 8, he developed an army that would fear no one but the Lord. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. 2 Chronicles 14, verse 8. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah who carried what? Shields. Shields and spears. And from Benjamin, what? 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. Now, you may not know what that means, 
But valor means, when you look it up in the, in the Hebrew there, men of strength, men who were spiritual, men enabled by the presence and power of the Spirit, men who encountered danger with firmness and bravery that could not be turned aside. They said to Asa, we're ready. Judah and Benjamin, they said, whatever comes against our city, we are ready and we are not backing down. God, our, God is looking for those who are refusing to back down in the last days. The devil is trying to get us to back down. God is looking for some Navy SEALs and some Delta Force. God is looking for men that will stand bold, will not flinch in the face of the adversary. God is looking for men who will not sit up who will sit up and refuse to shut up for the cause of Christ. These men were those kinds of men. They were men of valor, firm, and they had personal spiritual bravery. That's why Isaiah 41.10 gives the reason why they had this kind of bravery. Notice what the Lord said. They didn't have bravery just because Asa trained them, but they had bravery because God was with them. The Bible says in Isaiah 41, verse 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Together, be not dismayed, for I am your God. Make it personal. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right arm. God is a personal God. He's not saying I will uphold them, but it's got to be about between you and, and Christ. Amen, somebody? It's got to be between me and the Lord. I cannot rely on anybody else. This passage is as personal as you can get. I will help you. I will uphold you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will be with you. Thank God that he has made that commitment. Well, let's go back to the Second Chronicles as we wind this up. Because this is powerful as to where we're headed. While Judah was making preparation, the enemy was plotting. While Judah was going through their military exercises and making sure their weapon barrels were clear, making sure that they had enough ammunition, the enemy was planning. And we find in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 9, the Bible says, Then Zerah, the Ethiopian, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of what? A million men and 300 chariots. And he came to Merashah. Asa probably felt the ground rumbling beneath his feet. Or maybe he heard the tanks in the distance. Or maybe, as it were, is in Iraq, he just heard the jets coming but couldn't see them. And what did he do? He said, let's run for our lives. No, he didn't. <laughs> no, he didn't. He didn't say, guys, every man for himself. No, he didn't. Asa did not do that. Asa did not know when the enemy would attack. God did. But it's not necessary to know when men will do what they do. But it is imperative for us to do what we must do in preparation. Before I go to verse 11, I want to read this quotation. This is a powerful quotation. It is an appeal to mothers. But I want to tell you the quotation fits to every one of us. It's in one of those booklets entitled An Appeal to Mothers. Ellen White wrote this, page 33, paragraph 2. Listen to what she said. And this applies to Christians in general. She says, now is the time of preparation. When? Now. now is the time of preparation. None need to expect that God will do the work of preparing and fitting them up. 
without their efforts. You got to do your part. It is for them to work the works of righteousness and crowd all the right doing they can into the little space of time allotted to them before probation closes that they may have a clean record in heaven. God is saying, you don't have a whole lot of time. You better pack all the right living into the little time you have. So when you stand before God, your record is clean. And by the way, the Lord will clean your record when you live a godly life. So what did Asa do? Look at verse 11 of 2 Chronicles 14. In the battle that was just before us, what did Asa do? Asa, Bible says, cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, I love this. It is nothing for you to help. Brethren, when the economy is going down, cry out to the Lord. When your politician of preference fails you, cry out to the Lord. Lord, it is nothing for you to help. Whether with many or with those who have no power, help us, O Lord our God. For we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, I love this. He is praising God. You are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. Now, I want you to get this. He didn't say don't let man prevail against us. He said, Father, this is your battle. We're just standing with you. They're fighting you. Don't let them prevail against you. Here's the point. When you are on God's side and he win, we win. Amen. 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 You don't have to fight. That's why Moses said to Israel, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You don't have to fight. When you are on God's side, God says, I got this. Oh, thank Lord. Thank you, Lord, for getting a whole lot of my stuff, fighting my battles. I got this. And Asa did it right. You are our God. Do not let them prevail against you. God stepped in when Asa called on him. The God that Asa served in times of peace became the God that that delivered Asa in times of war. Look at verses 12 to 14. This is getting gooder. This is getting gooder. (laughs) That's right. Grammatic mayhem. Look at verse 12 to 14. This is so sweet. Second Chronicles 14, verse 12 to 14. So the Lord, who friends? The Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah. God will beat the enemy in your presence. God will fight so that you can see the outcome of every enemy that comes against you. He struck the the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah. And the Ethiopians did what? They fled. And Asa and all the people who were with him pursued them to Gera. (laughs) I like this. God said, get (laughs) them. There's some amazing stories in the Bible. So So the Ethiopians were overthrown and they could not recover. Revelation 12, verse 7 and 9, they did not prevail, for they were broken before the Lord and his army. When you are in the Lord's army, the little children say it, I'm in the Lord's army. (laughs) Brethren, we got to be in the Lord's army. With God on our side, let me rephrase that, With, with us on God's side, we'll never lose. If God be for us, who can be against us? Praise the Lord. And they carried away very much spoil. That means Ethiopia dropped everything. And Judah and Benjamin benefited. 
God said, I will bless you with the wealth of the heathens. They took away very much spoil. They defeated how many of the cities? All the cities around Gera. When God wins in our behalf, he never leaves a nation to survive. For the fear of the Lord came upon them, and they plundered all the cities. And this is a praise of the Lord. For there was exceedingly much spoil in them. What does that mean? That means they had a whole lot. And God said, what they had is now yours. Like the four leprous men, when the Syrian army had besieged Jerusalem, in Syria, when they said, in Samaria, besieged Samaria, they said, we go on there, we're going to die. If we stay out here, we're going to die. And these four leprous men got up and said, we're going to die anyway. Let's just try, let's just throw ourselves on the mercy of the enemy. And when these four leprous men got up, God sent sound effects. Horses and chariots and war, weapons of war. They heard all these bombs and guns and horses and chariots. And the Syrians got up and ran for their lives. And when these four leprous men, skin falling apart, skin they can't even feel it, God said, I will fight for the weakest one. I will be your strength when you are weak. That's the God. That's why the people of God must be prepared for what's ahead of us. You see, it is not our strength. It is not our strength, but it's the strength of the Lord that is going to carry us through the times that are ahead of us. According to God's agenda, my brethren, these days are the calm before the storm, like in the days of Asa. These times are the tranquil before the tempest. Just over the horizon, an unexpected terror is soon to be unleashed on humanity, and we've got to be ready. Looking down through the ages, God gave his servant a glimpse. Testimonies for the church, volume 8, page 27 and 28, she says, transgression has almost reached its limit. Confusion fills the world. Have you seen it? And a great terror is soon to come upon human beings. The end is very near. We who know the truth, let me say that again. We who know the truth should be preparing for what is soon to break upon the world as an overwhelming surprise. If I sound urgent, forgive me. But traveling beneath the sea of man's forgetfulness, an angry tsunami is racing toward the complacent inhabitants of the earth. They don't see it, but it's coming. The rich are hedging their bets on the instability of man's uncertainty. Those that ignore God are busy rebuilding their towers of Babel. And in the crumbling society, politicians unite in the chorus of build back better. You can't build anything without Jesus. Matthew 7, verse 26 and 27 how can you find security while building on sand? Jesus says, Matthew, 20, Matthew 7, verse 26 and 27, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. My brothers and sisters, in the days of Noah, the drugs of a self-satisfied society was injected into the veins of that world. Don't allow self-satisfaction to enter your veins and keep you unaware. The world is poised to crumble. And God is saying to us, build your house on the rock. What does that mean? Pick up your Bibles. What does that mean? Get serious between you and Christ. What does that mean? Pray as though you never have prayed before. 
Get your family before the altar. Husbands, call your wives to a time of prayer. Parents, sanctify your children. Do not allow their natural tendencies to claim their lives when God has given you the responsibility to get your children ready for eternity. This self-satisfied nation is drug-induced, injecting themselves into this complacent. And here they are, while the world is about to fall apart as it seemed, they're passing laws to make marijuana legal. We are living in the Cold War, but the enemy is planning. And thus my final text. First Thessalonians chapter 5, and we look at verse 3. What shall the people of God be doing in the times of the Cold War between the battle in heaven and the battle of Armageddon? What should the people of God be doing? The Apostle Paul says in First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 3, these words. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. We are seeing the harbingers of a nation that's going to crumble at its core as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. The Vatican is calling it's card on the political and financial leaders of the world. People are looking to men, frail men for answers. But God is saying to his people, this is a time that those who serve God in times of peace will have peace in times of war. When we remove the gods that are cumbersome in our lives, we'll be making room for the God that will give us victory in the end time. It's time to remove those things that are cumbersome in your lives. What do you say? When we do what is right in God's sight, we will see God working in our sight. When we seek the Lord while he may be found in times of peace, we will know where to find him in times of conflict. When we serve God doing prosperity, he will deliver us during times of adversity. When we live for the glory of God in times of peace, God will reveal himself in times of conflict. And the fact of the matter is, I end on this statement, only God knows when the time of peace will end. Only God knows when the Cold War will come to an end. And I end with these two words, my brethren, prepare now. What did I say? Prepare, prepare now. Say that with me. Prepare now. The Cold War is soon to come to a close. Let us prepare now. Now, I want to end this sermon with an appeal. And I want to ask the question, is there somebody here today that wants to be ready that when these times come, they don't want to be found without a God to stand with them. You don't want to be found without the arsenal of heaven surrounding you and God doing his battle in your behalf. If you want to be among those that are ready when the time comes, why don't you stand with me? Amen. Our loving Father, we are living in the Cold War. And yet forces from beneath are going out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of Armageddon. 
But Father, his main focus is not just on politicians or economists or religionists or those that are part of the society of the complacent. He's angry with that woman, the one that keeps your commandments, the one that has the testimony of Jesus Christ. He wants to do to her what he did to Israel so that they will become so degraded in God's sight that God would disavow his alliance with the majority of the very people that he chose to be a light to the world. But Father, as you preserved Judah and Benjamin, in these last days we know that there is a Judah and the people that want to be in the tribe of Benjamin that will refuse to bow to the pressures and the pleasures of this society. There are those that know that they are seeing a nation that once appeared to be a beacon of hope and light and strength to the world. The world leaders outside of this country are watching a nation crumble before their eyes, a symbol of democracy become a symbol, become a symbol of shame. They're looking to the leaders of our nation, men who should be as true to their oath as the needle is to the north begin to vacillate and abandon the very things that they have vowed to uphold, the Constitution of the United States. And so, Father, may we be a people allegiant to the Constitution of your eternal kingdom. The Cold War is about to end. And the million that are standing with the enemy of darkness is soon to come upon the people of God. And the question is, how will they find me? How will they find husbands and wives? How will they find your home when they come banging down your door, breaking windows to find a way into your house, sitting in the chamber where God should be honored? How will they find you when they scale the walls of your residence, trying to find a way in to bring mayhem and confusion and division Will they find your home impregnable? Will they find you calling on the name of the Lord? And I pray, Heavenly Father, that your people will be a people that call on you in the days of peace and know where to find you in the days of adversity. That they will call on you in a time of complacency and relative sanity. That when all of the world falls apart, they will know that the God whom they became familiar with is a God who they already know. So bless our homes, bless our lives. And may we do the urgent thing as you did for Asa. May we do for our families as they did under the direction of Asa. May this church, Father, I pray humbly do under the direction of my pleadings and the leadership of this church. Me, may we as leaders leave an indelible example for the church members to follow. And may they find in us no excuse to lose their way. And finally, Father, when all that we have seen is finally done, may we stand before you in that glorious day. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.